This is Melissa Milner. Welcome to the Teacher Eyes Podcast. The goal of this weekly podcast is to help you explore your passions and learn from others in education and beyond to better your teaching. The Teacher Eyes will highlight uncommon parallels to teaching, as well as share practical ideas for the classroom. In this episode, I interview Nancy Burrill, an accomplished educator at Revere High School in Revere, Mass. Nancy has won several teaching awards and has written articles for numerous publications, including Scholastic, Hey Teach, and Ed Week. She has contributed lesson plans on ReadWriteThink.org as well, which is, I know, a website I love to use. Nancy's book, I'm Not Holding Your Coat, a bruises and all memoir of punk rock rebellion, will be out this fall. Check it out on www.bazillionpoints.com for updated info and a chance to pre-order. In this interview, Nancy shares her work with us and how her background and passion for punk music informs her teaching practice. Enjoy the teacher as punk rocker. Welcome to the teacher as Nancy Burrell. It's great to be here. What do you want the teacher as listeners to know about you? I guess that um, teachers come in a lot of different um, styles and variety. Um, we come from many different backgrounds and many times our backgrounds inform our practice. I think I would like to let people know that veteran teachers, and I am a veteran teacher, I've been teaching now almost you know, over 27 years, um, that we still have a lot to bring to the table and that we are still energetic and enthusiastic about teaching. Absolutely. We are always learning and growing and getting better. What's the proudest moment you've had in your career so far? You know, I've, I've been really blessed that I've had many <laughs> proud moments. And, you know, one of the things, too, that, that helps is social media enables us to keep in touch with our students after they graduate. And um, um, I don't usually, my, I don't uh, accept friends, friend requests from students while they're my students, but afterwards they can. And you know, I've kept in touch with many of them that um, have gone on to wonderful things. Uh, one of my students was a girl named Lidra. This was in the late 90s when there was a lot of gang culture in Revere where I taught and I actually lost a student to gang violence my first year of teaching. He was shot and killed not far from where I live. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. That yeah, was a really, really devastating um, thing to happen. And Elijah was one of my students at the time, and she was Cambodian. And, at, and also at the time, there was a lot of racism and prejudice at my school that she just did not feel welcome and happy in our school. And by her sophomore year, she ended up dropping out. And I was devastated because she was really bright and super talented and artistic. And we kept in touch. And she would call me. One time she called me and said, you know, I want to go to, um, at the time there was a school called the Catherine Gibbs School on Newberry Street in Boston. And she thought she was going to study for a business degree. And she was, you know, just scared to go there and do the paperwork. And I went with her. And, you know, she was really bright. She banged through everything really easily. And I got her an internship actually working in the business office at my school. And she was offered a full-time job there. And they told me she turned it down. And I was, you know, kind of devastated that she turned it down. And 
I talked and she said, oh, I have to talk to you. I have to talk to you. And we met for dinner and she said, well, I have to tell you something. And I was like terrified of what she was going to tell me. And she told me that she did not want to be in the business world. She wanted to be a teacher. Would I support her? And I was like, oh my God, yes. And she went on to, you know, get her master's degree at, uh, I mean, get her um, first, finish her bachelor's degree at UMass Boston, and then uh, get her master's at Salem State. And not only did she become a teacher, she became an incredible teacher, a special education teacher. And, you know, she just did so well. And she's a teacher to this day and one of my dearest friends. And so, I mean, moments like that, especially when you see your former students become teachers, you know, that's a, you know, that was a really proud moment. And I also had a a student who was a Bosnian refugee who was also uh, going to drop out. And I had seen him running track and I told him, no, you're not going to drop out. And furthermore, I think you should run track. You know, long story short, he turned out to be really, really fast. And um, he wasn't eligible because he had uh, a lot of Fs on his report card for indoor track right when I told him to join track. But, you know, we sat down with him, the coach and I, and we, we said, you know, get your grades up. This Your whole life could change. And he went on to become a state New England champion. He received a scholarship to Phillips Andover for a postgraduate year. He went to Wheaton College on basically a full scholarship. He studied international relations. He now works for the federal government. And 10 years after he graduated, he nominated me for a uh, an award called the um, Kennedy Center Stephen Sondheim Inspirational Teacher Award, uh, where he had to write an essay, a 500-word essay. And, you know, it, he sent me the essay, and, and I was just, like, blown away by his writing ability, which was pretty incredible. And I ended up winning and getting to do a lot of cool things, like be on the field at Fenway Park. And, you know, but it's just really, to me, you know, the real joy of being a teacher is seeing what happens to your students afterwards, you know? And I've had plenty of students who I thought, I don't know what they're going to do when they get out of school, you know? And, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, even students that I, that I failed, you know, or failed my class, you know, come up to me in the gas station and they're like, you know, Burrell, listen, this is what I'm doing now, you know? And so, I mean, to me, that's the real joy, seeing the students go on to do great things. It's amazing to hear you talk about not just how you inspire these students, but also, you know, the amazing diversity. I don't know if you're still doing that, but you get to teach great, diverse kids. Yes, that's always been, you know, that's one of the great things about teaching in Revere and one of the reasons I would never teach anywhere else. I mean, you name a country, we have a student from that country at our school, and it really makes the teaching experience exciting and vibrant and fun. When I had that student from Bosnia, I didn't even know where Bosnia was. I mean, Bosnia was Yugoslavia when I was growing up and studying geography, you know? And so, you know, you know, as well as I, we learn as much from our students. They teach us as much as we teach them. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's always been the case. And I love learning from my students. So what parallels do you see? First of all, we haven't even mentioned yet, you have a passion and a history with punk rock. What parallel do you see between punk rock and teaching? Yeah, so, you know, the whole punk rock thing is, is funny because I grew up on punk rock. I graduated high school in 1977, which was, you know, the huge year for punk rock. And then after I moved to downtown Philadelphia, I began um, 
promoting punk rock shows and managing bands and writing for fanzines. And I never really realized it till I started thinking about it when people started, you know, asking like, you know, what, what makes you a good teacher? Or, you know, why do you think you do these things? And, and you know, when I really thought about it and reflected upon it and went deep, it was punk rock that made me kind of be able to like, for example, connect with disenfranchised and marginalized teenagers, you know, mainly because I was one and so were my friends, you know, so it was easy to, you know, sort of, um, I was a kid who sat in the back of the classroom, you know, bored to tears and, you know, just didn't feel a connection or empowerment from my school. And so I was able, you know, I think that that helps me be able to reach my students, you know, right. It also gave me a really good, uh, you know, do it yourself work ethic. I teach in a low income urban school. We do not have a lot of money, you know, back in the day when we wanted to see bands that we loved, but we were too young to get into the venues where they were playing we just rented, you know, Elk Centers and Knights of Columbus Halls and did our own shows, called bands from all over the world. That's how I met my husband. You know, I bought his album and I called him to do a show uh, in Philly. He was up here in Boston, you know. So, you know, just kind of taking matters into our own hands and, and doing it yourself. You know, I did um, shows with bands like Minor Thread and Black Flag. Now, when I look back, I think, wow, we were, you know, we were kind of wild to do that. But that translates to my classroom when I'm, you know, knocking down walls to get resources for my students, books, field trips, bring in guest speakers, you know, provide opportunities for them. Because to me, one of the greatest things that a teacher does is provide opportunities for students. And so um, that's all punk rock, you know. A few years ago, one of my colleagues, we read the book A Long Way Gone, which is about a, a child uh, soldier in Sierra Leone. And she wanted to bring the Sierra uh, Leone Refugee All-Stars to our school for an all-school concert. And I was like, Erin, you're crazy. You know, they're on, they were on Oprah, you know, <laughs> like, I don't think they're going to come to their school. And she, you know, she kind of called me out and she was like, well, you know, you're do it yourself. Let's, let's try and do it. And she did, she got them to come to our school. It was one of the greatest moments the entire student body in the gym dancing to Sierra Leone Refugee All-Stars, you know, playing this great world music. And it was one of the absolutely probably the greatest moment of my teaching career, looking around and seeing, you know, everybody united in music, you know, so that, um, that kind of do-it-yourself work ethic has really served me well as a teacher. So getting books, getting people, you know, I, I've taken my students now to um, New York three times three times now. And, you know, um, I, I just do donors choose and I do GoFundMes and, you know, who funds it? My old punk rock friends and my high school friends and my students are able to go. My low income students, 80% of my students live at or below the poverty level. So they don't really have money for field trips, but we've been able to raise money and go on these fantastic field trips where we go to the Empire State Building and we see shows and uh, exhibits. And it's really served me well over the years. What a wonderful opportunity to be able to do that and to, you know, have community help fund something like that is a powerful message as well. Yes. And one of the things that really warms my heart more than anything is that now almost all my projects you know, besides my punk rock friends, high school friends, 
Uh, so many of them are funded by former students paying it forward because they remember being able to have these opportunities when they were kids. That's wonderful. And, you know, punk rock also, you know, I'm an English teacher, so punk rock also has taught me the power of of the written word, you know, taking a stand despite, you know, conflicting data and complicated politics or intense societal pressures, you know, that that power of word, of the word to communicate anger and joy and to change the world. Now I see my students out there fighting for Black Lives Matter and other uh, causes. And I see their posts on Facebook and, oh God, my heart just swells up when I see them, you know, speaking out against things in this country that they don't approve of and, and you know, that using their right to dissent and their right to protest. Man, that really makes me proud. So all of that, you know, kind of came from punk rock and also, it, you know, punk rock also kind of made me fearless, you know, back then the main, the main um, antagonist antagonists to our lives as punk rockers were locals who didn't want us in their neighborhood or police, you know, actually. And so it made me kind of fearless too, because I've been through riots and I've been, I've, you know, I've had a bomb thrown at me, you know, um, you know, back then we're just, you know, Tuesday night, you know, <laughs> things that I look back now and I think, geez, you know, that's crazy. But it, it made me, you know, sort of not scared. So, you know, and kids say like, oh, you know, <laughs> this or that, you know, I'm like, well, I had bombs thrown at me. So like, bring it on. We, we can get by, we can get through this, we can get through anything, you know, and I, you know, I'm drawing on that now during, you know, pandemic times where I think, oh my God, like, is life ever going to go back to normal? And I think, well, you know, you lived through some crazy stuff already. So this too shall pass. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> You know, you'd think it's an uncommon parallel, but it really isn't. There's so much about punk rock. How about your act of booking bands? Well, yeah, because, you know, back then you had to be, all your communication was done over the phone, very expensive phone calls, or through letters that you wrote. And so I, you know, I often tell my students, if if you know how to write well, you can I've I've gotten free tickets for the theater, for the opera. I had this wonderful woman down in Maryland who did it, um, brought an international opera to Boston all the time. And I just wrote her an email one time asking her if she had any extra tickets. Well, not only did she have extra tickets, she used to provide enough for me and one of my friends at a school in Lawrence. But she eventually let my students design the program, publish essays in the program, create the artwork for the program Ugh. and appear as, as extras on the stage at her opera. The ability to be able to, to communicate well, which I learned very young when I was trying to get bands to play my, sh- you know, play our shows and, and reach out and, and uh, you know, you'd reach out to people from all around the world that has really served me well. And, and also, you know, in helping kids get scholarships and, you know, helping kids write college essays and that, you know, I I often tell them like, I did not know how to read and write effectively. I I had a student who, when he was in seventh grade, he was mauled by Rottweilers. I didn't know him, but I knew his sister. And um, he was in Mass General Hospital, very serious condition. And I kept seeing on his sister's Facebook that 
he, in every picture she posted, he had a Slipknot t-shirt on us. You know, I don't know if you know who Slipknot is, but they're pretty heavy band. So, you know, I, I um, reached out to my punk rock community because I felt so badly for this kid. I was like, maybe Slipknot will do something for this kid, but I didn't know Slipknot, but I put it on my Facebook and I said, you know, does anybody know Slipknot? And some, you know, friend from, uh, used to roadie for one of my husband's bands contacted me. He said, I don't know Slipknot, but I know the guy who did the Warp Tour and the Mayhem Tour and Slipknot paid, play, uh, played on those tours. So I, you know, seven o'clock on a Sunday morning, I send an email to this guy, Jeff Lyman, and I tell him the story and I put the 911 call of, you know, you can hear the kids screaming in the background being attacked by Rob Wallers. Yeah, Aww. it was really, you know, heavy and, and put the pictures of the, you know, his adorable little kid with, with his Slipknot shirt on there. And like within five minutes, you know, the guy emailed me back and said, yeah, you know, like I'm sending this to Slipknot's management. This kid has backstage passes for the Warp Tour and the Mayhem Tour, if he's able to come. And, you know, then I called the kid's sister and I was like, Slipknot's going to call your brother. And oh, wow. Clear that with your parents first, please. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and they, you know, they ended up um, calling him on the phone and talking to him for like 40 minutes and sending him big box of merchandise. And then when they played here, they gave him free tickets, which then by that time he was a freshman in high school and he contacted me and he was like, nobody will take me. Will you take me? And I was like, I don't think they're going to let me take a kid to a Slipknot concert. But, you know, he was still having a lot of operations on his head, especially because he had, you know, big chunks of skull taken out by these dogs. They, they let, they let me take him. I, you know, I called my dear friend who's always up for an adventure, Jackie. And I said, you want to go see Slipknot and Corn? And so we went, we took him and his brother and, you know, we had a great time, but we would never have been able to even negotiate any of that. If, if, if you, if we didn't use the power of words, you know, to help plead our case to the management and other people. So I tell the kids these stories so that they understand that it's not just about, you know, writing an essay. It's about communication effectively to to get what you want. I know a lot of teachers are using project-based learning and genius hour and to be able to teach them a lesson like that, you know, it doesn't hurt to ask. Nothing's going to happen if you ask and they say no. Yes. I just interviewed Matt Paxton from Hoarders. If I was all shy about it, I would never have Matt Paxton on the Teacher As podcast. That's stepping up and taking the risk, yeah. then also having a persuasive way of doing it. Right. It's all, it's, you know, it's all the rhetorical triangle, you know, ethos, pathos, and logos, you know, it's just, you know, and, and, you know, that's what I tell my kids when they're like, I want a dog and my parents say no. And I was like, get out your rhetorical triangle and let's figure out how we're going to do this. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) What are you zooming in on right now in your work? Zooming in. So I've, I've written a book about my experiences living in Philadelphia, you know, growing up as a Catholic schoolgirl, discovering music, discovering punk rock, and then, you know, using that to do all kinds of fun things in Philadelphia, meeting my husband. And that's called, I'm not holding your coat. And it, it's going to be out in the fall. So I'm, you know, really, really excited about that. And then, you know, the rest of my time is really spent trying to get my curriculum online so that it is both exciting and engaging and also effective, you know, for students, because um, I don't think any of us really know what's going to happen. And I don't want 
you know, I want the learning experience, if it is going to be remotely, to be as exciting and challenging and fun as it is in person. So I'm, I'm lucky I teach a class on film. I teach a class on The Walking Dead. Oh. <laughs> I teach a class, yeah, I teach a class in Mysteries, you know. So, um, you know, I teach some really fun classes that I hope that I can, you know, get kids excited about um, online. That's gonna. That's my challenge right now. So I'm really kind of zooming in on that. So, do you have any ideas that you want to share with the listeners? Um, you know, I'm still in in very much the beginning stages of of even things like Google Classroom. Um, so my the the thing that I was most successful about when we first went to shutdown was creating assignments that students would have a personal connection to. So whenever I did anything, you know, I always tried to create a personal connection in it. So if they were writing an essay, it was going to connect to their own lives. And so that I, I would say, when I started doing that, participation improved like 100%, you know, when I started asking kids opinions and what they valued and what was important to them and or what connections they made with you know certain movies and stuff so that is is definitely going to be my focus to have a lot of of that kind of thing in there um and and sharing and the whole collaborative experience i think is really difficult to do over a zoom so i'm going to you know try to work on you know how to do that yeah we're we're new to zoom as well um, in our district. And I know there's breakout rooms. So that could be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you just, you reach a certain age and you think, well, now, yes, I finally got this down. And then they're like, no, we have a shutdown and everything's going remote. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm sure that your punk rock history, your punk rock experiences will make you very, very powerful online with students. Yes. Yeah, they certainly, <laughs> you know, they certainly make you resilient if nothing else. That's right. No, we'll just, we'll figure it out. So, so what is your favorite movie and why? I, I've been thinking about this one for a long time because there, you know, I have many, many, you know, I teach a film class, so I have many favorite movies, but the one that I think I'm going to talk about right now is a movie called Fatal Attraction starring Michael Douglas and Glenn Close. And so I've always loved this movie for so many reasons. I saw it in the theater in the 80s. Like, first of all, you know, Michael Douglas, Glenn Close, Academy Award winning actors, you know, really great. It's set in New York. I love movies set in New York. Um, and, it, and it's incredibly suspenseful and exciting. And I show a sanitized version of it in, in my film class. And what we do with it is we do a feminist criticism on it. We look at it, we look at it as, you know, a rhetorical artifact and we break it down and say, because of course, you know, you're easily manipulated. You want to hate Alex Forrest. Who's really at fault here and what really happened? And, you know, we, we break it down where you can see that the, you know, the, that the message becomes, you know, the single working woman is vilified and the stay at home mom is sanctified. And like, what kind of messages is the media sending to to teenagers and 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 viewers on a daily basis and so that there's so much in that movie that you know and I'm telling you when I because you can never watch it in one class period when I push stop on that 
movie and then that'll like kids are freaking out to the point where I don't tell them the name of the movie because I know they'll go home and watch it. Uh (laughs) You know, I always make sure I start it where before they say the name of the movie, you know, because they're like, no, you can't, you can't stop it now. So, you know, it's, it's, it's great because it's a great platform for learning as well. And looking at messages that teenagers especially are are bombarded every day about gender and politics and and uh, race and and everything else in the world, you know. And so, you know, one of my kids said to me, you know, I can't even read a stop sign after you you know taking your class. I can't watch a commercial without thinking, you know, <laughs> what does this really mean, you know? So I'm like, yes, my job is done here. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. So, how can people reach you? Hear more about your work, about your book. Okay, so I am on Instagram at, at Nancy Burrell. That is my main focus for promoting my book. And um, I'm also on Twitter at Nancy Burrell as well. My email is nancy370 at comcast.net. You know, I'm always excited to hear from fellow educators. And, and, um, and you know, I have Facebook too. I've met quite a few fellow educators through Facebook. And I also didn't mention that I write for um, for a blog called Hey Teach that's on Twitter and Facebook. Um, it's from WGU, Western Governors University. And we, you know, we, we cover everything in there from classroom management to the pandemic. People can, you know, sign on. It's very, very helpful to teachers, especially new teachers. You know, we try to try to cover everything that you'll come across in the classroom so that you can just, you know, go on there, look something up and, and, uh, you know, have some tools at your, at your hands. You have definitely inspired me and I can't thank you enough for talking to me. Yes. Thank you for having me on. It's really fun. If you enjoyed this episode and have not done so already, please hit the subscribe button for the teacher as podcast. So you can get future episodes. I would love for you to leave a review and a rating as well if you have time. For my blog, transcripts of this episode, and links to any resources mentioned, visit my website at www.theteacheras.com. You can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Melissa B. Milner. And I hope you check out the Teacher As Facebook page for episode updates. I am sending a special thanks to Linda and Lester Fleischman, my mom and dad, for being so supportive. They are the voices you hear in the Zooming In soundbite. And my dad composed and performed the background music you are listening to right now. My intro music was Upbeat Party by Scott Holmes. So what are you Zooming in on? I would love to hear from you. My hope is that we all share what we are doing in the classroom in order to teach, remind, affirm, and inspire each other. Thanks for listening. And that's a wrap.